What do misplaced trust, deceit, and seven years of labor have in common? Well, for Jacob, they all mean getting married to the wrong woman. On The Bible Brief. Jacob is unyielding. His whole life has been a struggle toward gaining the best. From the womb, he was grasping at the heels of his older brother. And the struggle for the best is the theme of the first part of his life. First, he got the birthright that should have gone to Esau. Next, he deceitfully gained the blessing that should have gone to Esau. And now, outside of the land of Canaan, he'd struggled for seven years to gain the most beautiful daughter of his uncle Laban. But the struggle for the best is set in contrast to the best that God had already promised. There at Bethel, when God had appeared to Jacob, God promised him the land of Canaan, seed in abundance, and blessing to all nations. God promised Jacob the best, better than Jacob could ever get himself. God promised him generational and lasting blessing. Yet here in Haran, after struggling for years for Laban's youngest daughter, we see Jacob's past echo into his present as the shoe of deceit is firmly placed on the other foot. You can imagine Jacob's shock when he woke up that morning. He worked seven years so that he could marry Laban's younger daughter Rachel, only to be deceived by his uncle. Jacob had been welcomed into Laban's house with open arms. He'd gotten to know the people of the household, the people of Haran, and especially the daughters of Laban. But as he woke up that morning, with perhaps a bit of a headache from all the drinking the night before, he truly discovered the character of Laban. Jacob had been deceived. It wasn't Rachel lying next to him. It was her older sister, Leah. Perhaps in that moment, Jacob considered his own life. Perhaps he got a bit of a taste of how Esau might have felt after Jacob had stolen the blessing through his deceptive act of disguise. He might have even had a pang of regret as he finally felt that sting of deceit himself. Jacob was now married to Leah, the not-so-beautiful daughter, and he's not happy about it. Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Laban's words must have stung Jacob more than even he intended. It's almost as if Laban knew that Jacob had deceived his father for the blessing that should have gone to the older brother. Laban's response is in effect, We don't do that here. Here, the older gets what should go to the older. But Laban didn't finish with that, because in these events he sees an opportunity. Laban happened to like being enriched by Jacob's labor. That seven years that Jacob had just done filled Laban's house with prosperity and good things, and Laban thought of a solution for seven more years of labor. So he offers to Jacob seven more years of work to finally gain the prize of Rachel. And Jacob, in his love for Rachel, agrees. Do you think it felt like light labor like the prior seven years? Or do you think it was filled with angst, with Jacob wondering if Laban will deceive him yet again. For my part, I think that these seven years probably felt a lot more like seven years. But Jacob's love continued to motivate him. Let's keep reading. Jacob did so and completed the seven years. 
Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Jacob had been living in Haran for fourteen years before he was finally able to marry the woman that he loved. But the context of this marriage is significantly different than the context of his first marriage. This was no longer a fitting end to a love story. Instead, it was an arrangement that might inspire a TV show today. Jacob had married two sisters. Sisters, in a sense, who would share the same bed. Now, if you think there was sibling rivalry between Jacob and Esau, just wait till you see the rivalry that forms between these two daughters of Laban that Jacob had married. They begin a very unhealthy competition, taxing them both physically and mentally as they begin to produce children for Jacob. A competition that God uses for his own ends. Let's read the beginning of this account. When the Lord saw that Leah, the older sister, was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Here we see the unfavored wife, Leah, find herself with favorable results for Jacob. While her sister Rachel remains barren and childless, Leah gives birth to four boys. And as she names each boy, it appears her confidence grows that her husband will love her because of the children that she's given him. But Rachel, her sister, sees all this, and as you can imagine, she's greatly distressed and jealous. In her barrenness, we see her come up with a similar idea to Jacob's grandmother, Sarah. Let's read. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Okay, so we see this competition heating up. And now Leah, seeing that Rachel has in some way gained children, won't be outdone by her sister. So she applies the same idea to her own servant. And her servant Zilpah has two boys before again Leah herself conceives yet two more boys. And we see in the midst of all these babies being born that Rachel still hasn't had any children herself. Jacob already has ten boys, but none by Rachel. You can imagine she's been through grieving and heartache because she can't do what all the other women can. 
But soon we see God have mercy on Rachel. We read, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Rachel is finally able to have a son, a son we're going to get to know very well, a boy named Joseph. So at this point, Jacob has 11 boys total, six sons by Leah, two sons by Zilpah, two sons by Bilhah, and one son by Rachel. 11 boys among four different women. Like I said, this could be a TV show, and it certainly deviates from God's desire for marriage. This unhealthy competition among these two women for their husband's love and approval, however, has furthered one of God's purposes. God has used the competition to expand the family of Jacob. God's beginning to form a nation from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's after this fertility rivalry between the sisters that Jacob begins to think about leaving Haran and returning to the land of Canaan. And he says to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given to you. Now that Jacob has expanded his family, he wants to scratch that itch that's been in the back of his mind since he came to Haran many years before. You can imagine him thinking about that experience in Bethel that he'd had with God, where God promised him so many things. Promises that would come to fruition, not in Haran, but in the land of Canaan. However, despite requesting the leave of Laban, Jacob is met with another negotiation. Laban has been substantially enriched as Jacob has worked in his household. And it's apparent that God has been blessing Jacob's work. And so Laban offers Jacob to name his wages if he'll only stay there and continue working for Laban. So after a bit of back and forth, the two men come to a deal. And their deal is basically this. Jacob will continue shepherding the flocks of Laban. But at the end of his time of shepherding, Jacob will be able to keep the speckled, the spotted, and the black lambs and goats, while Laban will keep the remainder of the livestock. Laban is excited to have Jacob continuing to enrich his household, and he's perhaps even more excited to keep all the livestock for himself. Because we find out later that day, Laban had his sons take out all the speckled, spotted, and black lambs and goats and separate them from the livestock that Jacob was to shepherd. In this way, any offspring from the flock wouldn't likely be speckled, spotted, or black. Laban was trying to cheat Jacob yet again. But after a few years of shepherding, we come to find out that Laban's efforts to retain his wealth came to naught. Instead, through God's blessing and Jacob's selective breeding efforts of the lambs and goats he was shepherding, Jacob ends up with the significant portion of the flock being speckled, spotted, or black, while Laban ends up with the small and weak portion of the flock. After a while, Laban's sons begin to notice Jacob's increasing portion and tensions begin to rise in the family. And then, God visits Jacob in another dream that he describes to his wives. He says this, The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. 
I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered Jacob and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. And so Jacob, with all his wives, his children, his wealth, and his flocks, begins the trek back to the land of Canaan, back to the land of promise. Little does he know that coming back to the land will involve more struggle. After struggling in the womb, struggling for blessing, struggling for a wife, struggling to break free from Laban, Jacob is about to have the greatest struggle of his life. Jacob is going to struggle with God himself. Join us next time as we see one of the oddest and most consequential scenes in the whole Bible. A scene involving a river, an angel, and a wrestling match for the ages. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023